Good morning and welcome to Trending. I'm your host, Ben Rogers. Thank you for being with us this morning. I'm often asked by citizens across the state if elected officials are required to have any qualifications or any training before they can take office. The answer is yes and no. For county officials, to be elected sheriff, you must be post-certified. POST stands for Peace Officer Standards Training, and this training lasts a few weeks and the criteria is approved by the state of Tennessee. County highway superintendents have to meet certain qualifications that are laid out by the Tennessee County Highway Officials Association. Basically, these include supervisory experience and road building experience. In county government, these are the only two offices that have prerequisites to be elected and serve in office. Now, moving on to the legislative body of the county. If you have been elected or appointed to a county commission seat starting in August of 2018, you have to compete, complete eight hours of training online every year that my agency, the County Technical Assistance Service, provides on its website. What happens if someone does not complete the training? Their name is listed on the Comptroller's Office website and published in the newspaper of a local newspaper as an official that has not completed required training. So there's no penalty other than your name is put in light saying you did not do the, meet the requirements, but you still remain in office. So after that, there's no required training for county elected officials. That's one of the reasons I have my guest with me today. He is a friend of mine and a counterpart at the Institute for Public Service. His name is Maisel Ely, and he is the executive director of the Navy Center for Effective Leadership. Welcome, Maisel. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Thank you for taking the time to be here. We have a lot to discuss because I want our listeners to learn all about your agency and all the leadership and management training you all do. I also want to talk about some of your personal achievements and how wonderful your family is because they are. I've been around them. I got to meet them. (laughs) But first, our agencies, especially yours, the Navy Center for Effective Leadership, has a focus on training public servants. And it it goes all across the board. And I mean public servants. I mean elected officials, appointed officials. I mean people in state agencies and departments, commissioners of, of state agencies. Uh, managers and state agencies. We at CTAS do monthly trainings on a variety of issues. We focus on, of course, you know, budgets, debt management, internal controls, conflict resolutions, communication, anything that some of our officials say they would like to see offered. The Navy Center for Effective Leadership has a specific focus. What kind of training does your agency offer? Sure. Um, 2014, the Tennessee State Legislature um, actually enacted the Navy Center, put it into Tennessee Code. Um, According to that Tennessee code, that legislation says that the primary purpose of the NAFI Center for Effective Leadership at the University of Tennessee is to provide leadership development and training for public officials and their employees. Um, So the NAFI Center, we do a wide variety of training, development, coaching, uh, anything that we can do as far as offering uh, research resources to leaders, but all things leadership development and training. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned coaching, too, because mm-hmm. that's something I sometimes don't think about when we're doing training. We're kind of coaching in a way because yeah. we're getting uh, we're getting uh, personal, I guess, with the people and our participants in the class and your focus and the leadership part and coaching them. You know, everybody's different. That's right. Everybody's in a management if that, that's in a management role. They're not the same personality. They're not. You know, and we do personality tests. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which one we did in uh, Leadership Academy when I went through, but we do personality tests. It tells you what kind of personality you have, and then you can focus kind of on the training for that personality. What I like about the coaching aspect is you're trying to help them see other ways or or other approaches to manage or to lead, and that's a big part of what y'all do, and that's what your staff, you know, your staff is trained. That's right. And is there any requirements for your staff to 
to work for you? Because they're in a they're in a huge role. I mean, I know you go through the interview process, but do they have to have any training when they come in? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they do. They, the short answer is yes. Um, but each of our staff um, have completed um, significant training and have become certified as executive coaches. But they also have a wide variety of assessment tools, leadership development, psychological, behavioral certifications to be able to offer the tools and resources needed to do those kind of trainings for leaders. Because we train leadership uh, on an executive level all the way down to frontline employees. Okay. And so in order to be able to have that wide and diverse target audience, uh, we have to have a, a real diverse staff. And so... We're, we're a small staff. We have eight full-time employees, but all of them are, um, you know, executive coaches as well. And they're involved. They, those eight employees have different. I think you have what a program manager, mm-hmm. a couple of program managers, and you have actual people. Uh, all training your people specialists, do training? training coordinators. Uh, they do to some capacity. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and they're great people, by the way. I've been around all of them. Uh, talked to I agree. Tanya yesterday, and she's helping us out on something. Awesome. So that's so that's great. That's um, so. The programs y'all offer, and and I've been through Leadership Academy, uh, through through the University of Tennessee, actually through the institutes, I guess, mm-hmm. but through your agency now, uh, you have local government leadership programs, right. which y'all y'all took in after I guess it started. Did it start at IPS? Yeah, in 1995, the local government leadership program started uh, within the Institute for Public Service, uh, and then after the NAFI Center for Effective Leadership was uh, enacted. In state legislation, in the state legislation, uh, we then began to administer that program, which brings, as you know, city and county officials together, helps them to network, helps them to problem solve, helps them to understand the importance of bipartisanship in doing good for the citizens. Yeah, and I actually went through it. I was young. I my probably my second year at, at CTAS. Uh, Mike and Robin said, "Hey, you're going to this," and mm-hmm. I didn't even know what it was. That was the first experience I had with leadership training because I came from a CPA world into the public service side uh, with CTAS and at the CPA world, they didn't care anything about me being a leader. They just want me to get tax returns and audits done as quick as possible. So they sent me this technical training about, you know, tax updates or audit standards, not any leadership. So that was my first experience at, at local government leadership program. And I've met people from cities and counties that I still have relationships with. And that's part of the reason you do what you do. That's right. And it's one of the most rewarding things that we do to be able to bring people together, public servants together, to that both share. I mean, everyone shares that passion to help one another, to do good, to leave a legacy, to make government better for the citizens. And when you're able to make those connections for people, uh, it's very powerful. And the one I had, I remember one specific person. I won't name him, uh, but he's a great guy. He was very loud and exciting. <laughs> and you run into people like that, and he kind of would. He would kind of try to take over the session and the and the and the facilitator. Like, listen, you need to calm down. You <laughs> you said too much. And he would just calm down a little while. But it was wonderful to me to interact with different people across the state and cities to learn what they do and, and form those relationships. That's just one program. Of course, I mentioned the Leadership Academy that I went through, I guess, two years ago now uh, for UT and for the mm-hmm. Institute of Public Service, and it brought together employees of Institute for Public Service. And there's six eight, there's six agencies now? Yes, I keep, yeah, six, six agencies mm-hmm. in the Institute of Public Service. won't name all of them, but it brings people from all over those agencies together to achieve the leadership goals that y'all have laid out and Mm -hmm. and that actually 
uh, start well that that existed, I guess, before you became directors at Navy Center as well. But That's you've right. taken it and molded it into your own. Your staff has, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. Now we did a twelve month one. Mm-hmm. And it's now back to what twenty four months? Uh, I think it's eighteen months. Eighteen but, months. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're not only you're not only I, I say that to get this. You're not only training and building public officials, public servants in counties and cities and state agencies. Mm-hmm. Your 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 agency is also developing people within UT system. Yeah, and that's our hope. You know, as as long as we can continue to widen our influence on making leadership better. Uh, that's what we want. And so, yeah, we're, we're trying to make that impact in, within the University of Tennessee system as well. And the so lo- go back to local government leadership program. It's about a three day, roughly a three day training. Mm-hmm. The leadership academy that I went through is a 12 month, now 18 month training. And mm-hmm. one of the things we got to do and y'all allowed us to do was go visit every UT campus that's right. across the state. And we were like, well, what? why is that important? What's well, important to know what every UT campus is doing, what, what they specialize mm-hmm. in. You go to UT Martin. They're really they have a, a big agriculture based uh, campus right. and programs, and then you go to the Jackson Research Center for Agriculture, and it's it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. They have cotton. They're doing <laughs> cotton. They're doing yeah. all kinds of crops. So it was really good for us to learn about that. So it was more. It was not only just leadership focus. It was education. That's right. And so that's one good thing. Let's talk about some other programs you got. Okay. Um, the uh, CPM, the Certified Public Managers Program. How did that program come about? So there's a national consortium, um, and there's about 37, 38 states right now in the nation that have a certified program that works in conjunction with their state human resource office uh, to have a certification for public managers. They determine the competencies and the capabilities that are needed in both federal, state, and local government levels for all things management. Tennessee did not have one, so the National Consortium reached out to the NAFI Center at the University of Tennessee and asked us to consider being the being the cog, so to speak, for the state of Tennessee to help that. So we worked uh, very closely with Tennessee state government uh, to get that. uh, As you know, it's a year-long program. Mm -hmm. It's 300 hours of instruction. Uh, and then there's a capstone project, um, and you know, we're really proud of that because right. um, you know each of our uh, graduates have a project where they make city, county, uh, state, and federal government more efficient, more effective, and the economic impact that those projects have is something we're very proud of. Yeah, and I th- and I'm in it currently, and we're I guess we're in the about to be the eighth month of the program, and it's been wonderful. It's been different because of. COVID and, yeah. and we're now virtual and you don't get the interaction with people, but it's still been, it's been worth it. I want to talk a little bit more about the CPM when we come back, sure. who's eligible to be in it uh, and, and the end goal of that. You're listening to Trending. This has been Rogers. I have Maisel Ely with me. He is the executive director for the Navy Center of Effective Leadership at the University of Tennessee under the Institute for Public Service umbrella. We have a lot of acronyms, but we, we get through <laughs> it. We'll be back in just a moment to learn more about his agency. Welcome back to Training. This has been Rogers. I'm visiting with Maisel Ely uh, from the University of Tennessee's NAFI Center for Effective Leadership. He is based in Knoxville, but they are serving statewide. And actually, I guess you're getting outside of the state some with some training, too. And, yes. Uh, but we were, we left last segment talking about the Certified Public Managers Program, the CPM. And and I, I th- I'm going to brag on you here. I'll probably brag on you a lot at this show. But <laughs> I think it's interesting. The NAFI Center is so young. I mean, to me, it's young. It's six, mm-hmm. six years old. And this national consortium reached out to you. Yes. So, and that was what three or four years ago mm-hmm. now. So you were really young then. So you had already made headway and already seen a lot of progress with your programs that the national consortium reached out because they could have went anywhere. I mean, they mm-hmm. could have went to the sure. state of Tennessee, right? Sure. Um, 
so they went to you. So I'm gonna brag on you. That's that meant y'all y'all <laughs> started really quickly of, of getting programs out there. And, and of course, at that time, you probably had what three employees when, mm-hmm. when you were putting yeah, CPM together. Small. And so great program. If somebody's interested in the CPM program, who who can be in it, and what would what would they need to do to get in? Sure, and and those um, criteria, those prerequisites are established by that national consortium that you referred to, uh, federal, state, local government folks, or folks that contract with federal, state, or local government um, are the criteria. Um, you're you're looking for folks that are a uh, wide range of early management learning first-time supervisors all the way to well-seasoned that have been in in public service for 20, 30 years or in the program. So there's not a year requirement of experience, but you have to be a current manager in federal, state, local government, or a contractor. Okay. So, you know, for example, a a county mayor, Mm -hmm. a city recorder, because, uh, right. you know, some cities throughout the state, their their main employees, the city recorder, they're kind of overseeing the finances and everybody else. You know, there's mayors of cities that are part time that kind of are just like figureheads mm-hmm. and a voting member on the council. But that's that's good. Um, the CPM capstone, and we'll talk briefly about it. That is a big project and it, it does mm-hmm. take some time. But what it's trying to do. Well, I'll let you answer that. The capstone project y'all seen and what you're looking for. What are those cap? What are you trying to get from those capstone projects for for Tennessee? So each participant that's in the program, it obviously is representing an agency and organization in public and go- public entities or government. And all of them are required before they graduate to present that capstone project where they have found a way to make government and its services more readily available, making it more efficient, more effective. Um, And those are scored on a rubric scale with a panel of subject matter experts. Um, They're questioned. Participants are questioned, making sure that this isn't just a a quick PowerPoint and you're done. This is something that's going to make uh, a sustainable difference in, in public service. Um, and so we have a wide variety of you know different capstone projects that have taken place over the past few years. And uh, what, what's really exciting, our inaugural class only had 12 participants, but their economic impact for the state of Tennessee was $3.6 million wow. in their projects. Um, and then we, of course, beat that. In, in subsequent years. And right. so, yeah, your cohort, your uh, class of 2020, uh, we're expecting even a greater economic impact for the state based sure. on those programs. Yeah, that's good. And I, and I bring the CPM up because you have city and county leaders, officials, mm-hmm. managers in that class. And that's one way they're getting training to hopefully be a better public servant for their people. Absolutely. To bring new ideas, to to make life, their their quality of life, the citizens' quality of life in their counties and cities better. And so when I talk about the programs, I want people to know those programs are helping their officials. So right. that's just one of them. Also, you do a lot of leadership programs for the state mm-hmm. and state departments. That's right. Tell me about some of the leadership programs you do for state, uh, not only the commission, commissioners of state agencies, but their employees. Yeah. So uh, the Navy Center for Effective Leadership at, at UT, basically, we do training for all 40 plus state agencies. Uh, for years, we've had, um, you know, going the Institute for Public Service, and now the NAPI Center has had the Tennessee Government Executive Institute. It's on its 35th year. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's a two week program where we bring in commissioners, assistant commissioners, directors of those state agencies, so high level executives. And we have a list of competencies that we work through with them. Uh, they're not only learning those leadership principles and growing as leaders, but they're also networking with other state agencies. And, you know, you would think 
uh, just by osmosis that if they've worked in state government very long, they understand how other agencies work. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So we call it TGEI, Tennessee Government Executive Institute, is a great way for them to understand the idiosyncrasies of all 40 plus agencies and then to be able to collaborate and work together uh, again to make government more efficient, more effective. And then, of course, there's what, TGMI? Yeah, Tennessee Government Management Institute, uh, which took place uh, about five years after TGEI. Okay. The Tennessee Government Management Institute is exactly the way it sounds. It's for government managers in state agencies. Um, and um, again, two week program, very similar, uh, but the competencies are different. The leadership development uh, capabilities that we're trying to train and develop folks in are obviously geared towards more in management level for the agencies. How many people would you say you have provided training for in the last year? Yeah. So our alumni yeah, base would be the literally thousands. I think when last fiscal year, our report showed that we had had completed training for over 5,000 officials in Tennessee and in in state government and county and local city government, municipality governments um, in Tennessee. So over 5,000 just last year. Wow. In one year, 5,000 people you've touched or reached out to. So one of the other big programs you do, I guess it's every two years, is for newly elected state legislators. Yeah. What is that training? That's a super exciting program that I love. Uh, we call it the Tennessee Legislatives Academy, and it's the newly elected legislators orientation. When folks are elected to the state legislature, obviously there is a uh, quick boots on the ground kind of thing where they'll, they'll understand their appointments on which committees they're made, and the state does that. But these folks, these new legislators come to Knoxville for a week of training with the Navy Center in collaboration with the Howard Baker Center, mm-hmm. uh, a bipartisan effort that we bring in both political parties, uh, independents, as well as Democrat, Republican legislators, introduce them for the first time. But we, we talk to them about what to expect on day one as a full time legislator wow. and to understand both uh, the ethics uh, incentives, um, and I say incentives, the, the ethic component of the decisions you're going to make and how it's going to impact, but also the bipartisan effort of being able to have uh, innovative, creative ways to do legislation that will help the most for the state and the citizens. And so to be able to have that bipartisan effort of bringing both parties together in a non-controversial, non-combative way to get to know one another as people before they start making these decisions, I think is a real powerful thing that we have the opportunity to do in that program. I've got to ask, though. Yeah. Have you had any instances during that one week training where you might have one person on one side of the party get upset with another person on the opposite party and have a little bit of conflict during the training? Has that happened yet? Well, I will say that any time there is a room of human beings, <laughs> that there is the potential for conflict. That's true. Um, but I think that in all things leadership, that the tone and the environment that we set puts those people at ease to realize we want everyone to be able to freely speak and to tell what they're thinking and how they feel and what their thoughts are, but to do it in a respectful dialogue that we're going to be able to work through these things together. Because if we if we can't work together, then that hurts everyone. So you don't have to wear your bouncer shirt? Uh, not, no, no, I have okay. not. Okay. No. All right. <laughs> I, I think that training's wonderful. I know if I ever was elected to a position at the state, a state legislator, you know, I, I would think to myself, I don't, what do I do first day? Well, 
There's this sure. training available, or actually, is it required for them to go? It's not required. Okay. No, okay. no, but they usually will attend. They will attend. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's training available for first-time legislators to go for a week and learn about the ins and outs, of it, especially the first few days in office. You know, as they get in, other people will help them, but before they arrive, they got some knowledge. Mm-hmm. They've got some background to know what to expect those first few days in, in office. I think that's wonderful. Um, with With all the successes – that you've had in a short time, there's also got to be struggles when, when you come to wanting to provide the best leadership and management training for uh, officials and, and public servants. What are some of the struggles you found in these six years as a, as over the Navy center? Yeah. Well, one thing, one component I think that you'll find in all of the staff that work for the Navy center. And it's what, one of the reasons I love working with that team more than anything is their heart towards public service and, and serving Uh, I think all of them are servant leaders. And when you're a servant leader, you want to help everyone. And uh, honestly, we do not have the budget to meet all the needs that are out there. Uh, That's one of the biggest struggles that we face as a team is having a a small budget um, and small staff. And yet we're trying to reach as many leaders in the state as possible to try to be a positive impact on their leadership. Yeah, and so because some of these trainings, will, will, there's there's a fee to attend because you have to operate. That's right. You have to be able to to provide the training, so it's going to cost because uh, you got overhead, you've got mm-hmm. people, you've got to buy materials, you've got to pay for locations and stuff like that because you're all over the state. Right. I mean, I don't know if there's a county you haven't been to. Right. So I think that's great, and I, I appreciate what you do. We have two segments left. To me, it's flying by. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it so far. I want to get into a little bit more training when we get back, but then I want to start to get to know you a little bit better. I know okay. you, but the, my listeners, they don't may not know who Maisel is. So when okay. we get back, we'll get to know you a little bit better. You're listening to Trending. This has been Rogers. I'll return with Maisel Ely from the Navy Center for Effective Leadership in just a moment. Welcome back to training. This has been Rogers. I continue to visit with Maisel Ely. He is the executive director for the NAFI Center for Effective Leadership under the UT system and under the Institute for Public Service umbrella, which is a sister agency to the County Technical Assistance Service, which I work for and have been for 15 years. And Maisel, you've been with IPS how long? Since 2002. 2002. So I was getting out of college and you were starting with, with IPS. You know, you, you mentioned the servant's heart last uh, segment. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that quite often on the show because I do have public servants in here and, and the people I have on, I, I feel I have good public servants on that that want nothing but the best for their, their communities and their citizens. Mm-hmm. What kind of feedback do you get from those people? that And, and it can be state, uh, city, whoever you've messed or dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of feedback do you get from them after a training has been completed? Sure, and I appreciate you even asking that. Uh, that's one of the most rewarding things is the feedback that we do get from our customers, our local and state um, and even federal government officials, employees. The feedback that I receive as the director most often about the team and the staff is that these are public servants that are coming to these training programs. And what they recognize is that the Navy Center staff are very much modeling the way for servant leadership. Uh, from small things of ha- having the opening the doors for them when they walk in to to staying up even after af- hours for the cl- after the class is over with trying to help uh, brainstorm and find best practices for folks that are experiencing some real tumultuous times in government uh, with with various reasons I mean especially in times like right now with a pandemic going on with social unrest leaders are highly stressed and lots of burnout. 
And uh, the feedback that I'm getting from them is that, you know, you can smell a fake a mile away, but you can also see the real deal and you know it without having to question it. And I think that when they when they see the team from the Navy Center, um, and that's one of the reasons I'm most proud to work with them is they're the real deal. They're real leaders that really want to serve. And I think that that speaks to the credibility of those individuals that run those training programs. And I think, of course, I can speak from personal experience through the programs y'all have administered and offered. I've always felt like, and believe it or not, I'm I'm kind of reserved and, and probably more of an introvert than an extrovert, even though I'm a public official and I do what I do. When when you get me away from my customers, I'm really quiet. Uh, and my wife will, will say, you know, you're, you're kind of shy and whatever. But I always felt like I could I had some qualities of a leader. Then I went to the the leadership academy that, that y'all held and it revealed to me that I probably did. But I had a lot of room to grow. And one of the things I've always believed in, even before the academy, but I, it was confirmed when I graduated is empowering people that you're around really goes a long way. If mm-hmm. you can empower somebody and, and have them put f- faith and belief in themselves, they can accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. That Academy confirmed that idea for me, but that Academy also showed me a lot more ways to lead mm-hmm. other than empowering and, 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 you know, provide, have empathy for people and uh, be, be just be truthful and communicate. Communication right. is so key and don't act like you're the boss all the time. That's right. And don't act like you're right all the time. That's you know, right. you're not always right. Somebody else on your team may be right and you may let them take the lead. That's right. And one of the things you said, I remember you saying in one of the sessions, cause you didn't do every session, but you were mm-hmm. there. You said good leaders have good leaders under them. That's right. And so I'll never forget that. So that's just one of the many things I got out of the Leadership Academy provided by the Navy Center. Uh, and, of course, I'm in the CPM now, and we talk about leadership, but we also talk about a lot more technical stuff. Right. Uh, we just finished uh, communicating and telling your own story, you know, how to tell Important your story. And I'd never thought about how do I tell my story until this last month. And so we, we were telling stories, and, of course, Mom was, you know, uh, out there or whatever, but it, it was it, you, they put they put us in a situation to think quickly and to be convincing or to be transparent. So yeah, absolutely, that's just one of the many things y'all do. So I'm I'm so proud of that. And thank you. The public servant's heart, as I said, I've talked about a lot on the show, but uh, it, it is something that's God given for mm-hmm. sure. But there are so many ways to open that up and build on that, and that's one of the things that your your agency does. So thank you for that. Thank you. Let's talk about you and your family. And I have okay. had the chance to be around your wonderful wife, Jamie, uh-huh. uh, your son, Silas, your little uh-huh. girl, Elizabeth, and she's just about as cute as they come. Nothing, nothing gets Silas. Uh-huh. Silas is cute, but <laughs> but Elizabeth, she's about as sweet as they come. Where do y'all live? Sure. And, and tell me a little bit about them. So we live in uh, Wallen, Tennessee. For those that don't know where Wallen is, the last uh, Census Bureau said that we had 258 people in Wallen. So we're right outside of Townsend, uh, Maryville, Tennessee area, about 45 minutes from Knoxville. Okay. Uh, so we live in a little community in Wallen, Tennessee. But you are from Eastern Kentucky. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I was raised in a little town called Middlesboro, Kentucky, which is right on the Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia border. Okay. Um, and in, um, it's right on the border of Claiborne County, Tennessee. 
Okay. So not you grew up not too far from Knoxville in East Tennessee. That's right. And, of course, your roots are in East Kentucky. Uh, your roots go deep in Kentucky, and, and it's mm-hmm. a, a fascinating I, – I, I, folks, if you're listening, Mace was one of the most humble people I've ever <laughs> met, but he's accomplished so much in his short life. Uh, and I, I know your family is your greatest accomplishment, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. – and you and Jamie, because Jamie's wonderful. Yes. Um, she's so smart. She could do whatever she wants to do. Uh, but she's – you know, she's – you know the matriarch of the family and she's mm-hmm. and she's doing doing great things but the your background obviously is is deep rooted in god and faith mm-hmm. and, and with is. your with your father and your mother mm-hmm. tell me about growing up in eastern kentucky with your parents sure uh, so i grew up a preacher's kid a pk and uh, my father and mother pastored a church there in middlesbrough kentucky for about 20 years um, and then after that they started a ministry called barnabas ministries international and it is an interdenominal uh, ministry that ministers to pastors and their families. And so just to all things leadership, just like uh, what we were talking about leaders right now experiencing high levels of stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. pastors do. Right. And so uh, having been in that ministry uh, before, there oftentimes there's not a place to go confide in and get help and assistance without feeling like you're being criticized or judged. And so Barnabas Ministries International provides free counseling uh, services, uh, support for families, uh, financial support, those types of things for pastors and their families. Now, did you ever help your parents in that ministry? I, I, I do, and I do currently. I would do a lot of um, um, confidential counseling for pastors' kids, uh, feeling like they're being raised in a fishbowl in, right. in, a, in a glass house. And how do you circumvent that? Because I didn't choose the right. career that my father was going to go into, and I didn't choose the ministry. Uh, and so I have a, a unique opportunity to be able to share my experiences and to encourage them. So, and I'm, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but I'm going to ask. Um, <laughs> you grew up as a pastor's kid. Your dad's uh-huh. done that as long as you've known it. That's and, right. And your mom's been involved. What? So you're not pastoring a church. Mm-hmm. You decided to take another route. At what point in time in your life did you sit back and think, well, I'm not, I don't really want to be, I don't really want to pastor a church. I want to help and be involved, but I want to do something different. Yeah. So my mother was a teacher. My father was a preacher. uh, And so they modeled the way for me in serving others. Uh, So the need and the desire was there. uh, But I just decided that I didn't feel like that people of faith were well represented in the public arena. And so I wanted to um, have a career, but also a vocation in which I could inspire people of faith to walk out their faith in public service. That's wonderful. And you're still doing that. Of course, yeah, I, I've never seen you get up and start preaching during a leadership <laughs> class. You probably wanted May to. May not be couple, well received. <laughs> well, you probably wanted to a couple of times, but I, I did learn through Leadership Academy, uh, and I, it just come to me to, to talk about this. We had, I think, 14 maybe in our Leadership Academy. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, 14 or 16. And a lot of people in there, when you, when you ask them, who you are? Who are you? Mm-hmm. And and what makes up your uh, your DNA? What what drives you? What gives you the the desire to do this, this, or this? And a lot of it went back to the way they were raised, mm-hmm. whether they were raised in church or whether it was faith based or, or whatever it was. And it, we had a lot of deep conversations on that, which I felt was great. Mm-hmm. You know, I never heard anybody complain. And I don't think you got any complaints. We shouldn't be talking about that in this academy. Everybody was just wonderful. But I found a lot of people went back to their 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 faith, mm-hmm. you know, and why they're there. So I think it's wonderful 
for somebody like you and, and others to to have that passion to serve in this capacity especially but also be a lot for somebody to say you know what the good people can do good things and serve and and you know it's i think it's just wonderful mm. so i appreciate what you do you. your your mom and dad are still very involved with barnabas they are and, yeah, they and still talking to people tell, right quick uh we got one more segment after this mm-hmm. but tell me right quick about silas and elizabeth so i have a nine-year-old uh silas uh who is high functioning aut- uh, autistic child uh brings great joy to our family right. and having a different perspective. He helps us to view life differently than we would have without him. Sure. Uh, he is a gift from God for sure. And yeah. then Elizabeth six, just turned six years old. She's spunk. She says what she thinks <laughs> and she keeps me humble. Now, does she get that spunk and, uh, very, um, uh, plain talk from you or from Jamie? It would depend on who you ask. Yeah. <laughs> I'll ask Jamie later. That's How about right. that? I yeah. uh, hope everyone is enjoying listening. We have one more segment. We're going to talk a little bit more about what Maisel has been doing. Uh, some interesting stuff that he has accomplished. When you come back to uh, your listening to training, this has been Rogers. I'll continue with Maisel Ely in just a moment. Welcome back to Training. This is Ben Rogers. I continue to visit with Maisel Ely. He is the executive director uh, for the NAFI Center for Effective Leadership. And that uh, agency is within the University of Tennessee system and under the em- umbrella for the Institute for Public Service, which, as I said, is, is the agency uh, my agency is under. And we, we're counterparts. We work together a lot. Uh, I look forward to working with Mason Moore on some things. Hopefully I can help his agency out because they have helped me been uh, in development. And I, I know they continue will to help me. Let's talk, Maisel. You know, and I know a lot of people, a lot of my listeners are going to be familiar with the song Ain't no grave. Mm-hmm. All right. And some of them may only be familiar with the Johnny Cash version, sure. which is fine. Yeah. I don't think you're mad about that. No. <laughs> but Ain't No Grave was written and composed by your great uncle. That's right. Mm-hmm. You, his name, Claude Ely. That's right. Mm-hmm. You decided uh, at some point years ago that you wanted to write a book. Mm-hmm. So, Maisel is an author as well. He's a talented leader. He's a talented trainer, teacher, but he's uh, a, a talented servant. But mm-hmm. he's also an author, which I don't think I could ever write a book. So, kudos to you. I don't think I have the patience for it. Ain't No Grave is, uh, is obviously, a, a I would call it a gospel song. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to determine or to, to classify that song. And, and like I said, your great uncle wrote it years ago. Mm-hmm. What made, and I want you to tell me about that, but what made you decide that you wanted to be an author and write a book about your great uncle called Ely? Sure. Um, well, I didn't set out to be an author or to write a book. Um, at, in 2001, shortly after 9-11, uh, you, if you remember, airline tickets were super cheap. Right. And I'm a super cheap person, so <laughs> I decided I wanted to fly to Europe. And so I, I took that opportunity and went uh, to L- London, England, for a, a couple of weeks and I was in London, England downtown and I was entertained by all of the old vinyl record stores that they had. And this is before kind of the revival of vinyl came back to the United States. Right. And there was, uh, I walked into one just for entertainment purposes and just crowds of people. I mean, there, there were just so many people and they were playing music over the intercom system. And I began to recognize it as my great uncle. And it was old songs from the 1950s that he had recorded. And, of course, he had been dead since 1978. And 
I felt like I was on an LSD trip. <laughs> Not that I would know what that's like. Right. But, but uh, it, it just felt like I was on candid camera or something right. hearing my uncle's music. And no one knew that I was going to be walking into that particular record store. So I went up to the front desk, asked the store manager. I said, are you playing Claude Ely's music? And in his strong British accent, he was probably la- uh, laughing at my Eastern Tennessee accent. Right. And he said, uh, uh, you must have not known the artist very well. Uh, his first name was not Claude, it was Brother. And so I found that super entertaining because if you grew up in church down south like I did, we call one another brother and sister. And so I started laughing and I said, well, actually, uh, his first name was Claude. I said, uh, you know, he said, how do you know this? And I said, well, he was my uncle, my great uncle. And he immediately got excited and he said, come here, I want to take you down an aisle and show you something. And as we crossed one of the aisles on the cap at the end of one of the aisles, they had a life size cutout of my great uncle. Wow. With his cowboy hat on. And uh, most people don't know my uncle or didn't know my uncle, but he was just a, a over uh, overweight, fun loving singer, songwriter, preacher uh, in the Appalachian Mountains. And they had all his old 45 records, his 78 albums. And I was watching people, different generations, uh, different nationalities coming in in the store. And they were buying my uncle's music right in front of me. And so they began to ask me. At, he actually got on the intercom system and said, uh, "You know, ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to have a descendant <laughs> of the late great brother Claude Ely with us at aisle, whatever aisle number it was. And people started asking me all these weird questions about... Um, you know, is it true that Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley, when they were teenagers, traveled with your uncle? And I had never heard those stories. And so I, you know, said, oh, I don't know. Right. Um, but on the trip home, it made me start uh, introspectively thinking of why do these people in Europe know more about my family history than I do? And why do they all these years later, these decades later, are still listening to his music? And to me, it wasn't anything special. It was just what I had grown up hearing. Right. And so what happened was, is when I got home, I began to ask my uh, my great aunt, who was still alive at the time, Claudia Lee's wife and my grandparents, you know, is it true? These things that people told me and their answer was, yeah, it's true. But no one bothered to tell me that history. And so um, it challenged me to want to learn more about my own family roots. And so I never really wrote, uh, decided to write a book. What happened was, is I was living in Dayton, Ohio at the time. And every free weekend, I would come back home to eastern Kentucky, east Tennessee, southwest Virginia. And I would just go into these old coal mining communities. And I would just walk into church services of churches I didn't know anything about and would just say, hey, did you ever know a man named Claude Ely? And They would tell me these wonderful stories about my great uncle, and I would digitally record those on a handheld recorder. Uh, When all was said and done, I ended up recording over 3,000 folks, elderly folks from the Appalachian Mountains about my family's history. And there was a producer by the name of Lance Ledbetter out of Atlanta, Georgia. He owns what's called Dust to Digital, and they've won multiple Grammy Awards for preserving American history and music. He had contacted me and said, hey, you know, we, we've produced some of your uncle's music uh, in the past and word's gotten out that you're doing all this history. Would you consider letting us publish a book on his life if you would write it based on that research? And so that's what I did. I wrote a book called Ain't No Grave, The Life and Legacy of Brother Claude Ely. And it's about the uh, 3000 folks that I was able to in- interview t- who told me my own family history. 
I'm still cracking up that the <laughs> gentleman in the the record store in, in London thought his first name was Brother. Uh, that's right. yeah. And of course, uh, folks, the book is available. And I'm he didn't come here to sell the book. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I, I brought this up, but it's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great book. I I got a signed copy. I I, I love it. Uh, wonderful history there. And so he did travel with Elvis, that's and right. he did travel with Johnny Cash. Yeah. And but did you ever ask your family why they never told you this? Did you just ever come out and say, what, I mean, frustrated, like, why, mom, dad, or I grandma, and grandpa, why have you not ever told this? What was I their did. response? Uh, they hadn't thought of it, or they didn't think I would be interested in it. Um, and so, I, you know, I love sharing that story when I talk to leaders about bridging the generational gap in the workplace because there's so much good information that needs to be shared with the next generations that are coming up in leaders. Uh, in leadership, as well as my personal story, you know, had I not come across that, which I believe was divine intervention for me to be able to see that in London, England, because it it changed and opened the door of opportunity for me to meet some wonderful people um, uh, that I would have otherwise just neglected to never got to cross paths with. So I'm going over there next year. Yeah. I want to know the name of the record store. Yeah. And so I can happy go in to and say ask it. if they have Brother Ely. Not <laughs> <laughs> Claw, but Brother Ely on, on yeah. the sale. Um, it's, a, uh, it's an amazing story every time I hear it. But you met so many people. Mm-hmm. You said three thousand, over 3,000 people you yeah. went. And so you took a lot of time. Obviously, that was a passion of yours to try to, to get more information about your family. How many places did you learn that he, because he was basically a, 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 on a gospel circuit or a mm-hmm. gospel revival, a circuit revival, whatever you want to call it. Uh, how many places did he go? Did you ever find out? Uh, well, he had, he had gone to the 48 continental states, held tent revivals, uh, did all night singings. He also had ascended radio uh, show program called the Gospel Ranger Show. Wow. Uh, and so that's, a lot of people knew him through the radio show, but he would, uh, the the sweet people that I was able to interview would just say, you know, one particular man said it was 1947 and I had a flat tire and some, you know, some heavy set guy in a white suit came with the cowboy hat on and helped me fix my tire. And at the end, he, he gave me a, a record and said his name was Claude Ely. You know, and so it was just these wonderful stories of how he you know, had no, he had no education, no formal education. Um, he could only read or write on a third grade level. And yet he wrote some of the the songs that you will find, you know, in the hymnals. Wow. That's great. Um, we have a couple minutes left. And I think that's a wonderful story. We could probably talk about that all show because it's uh, it is a good book for everybody who wants to check it out. What are some of your last thoughts on leadership? Because I, and I, I get to that to say this, obviously your servant's heart has come from, Generations, You know, mm-hmm. your mom and dad have it. Obviously, your great uncle had it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't go 48 states, continental states, preaching, singing, and trying to bring folks to, to Christ without having servant's heart. Mm-hmm. So what what are your, some of your last thoughts on leadership? Because I, I imagine through your travels on this book, you probably gathered some thoughts on leadership. Yeah. So uh, I love the quote from John Maxwell. He says that defining moments define your leadership. And I believe as a person of faith that There are certain times in our lives that we encounter, whether we choose to have those encounters or not. Um, You know, I believe COVID-19 is one of those encounters where we're really seeing what leaders are made of. Uh, Those defining moments, you have an opportunity to stand up and make those hard decisions, knowing that you're not going to make everyone happy on either side of the issues. Uh, But those defining moments is when we really need leadership to stand up um, and to help people feel stable hopeful 
uh, and secure. And uh, that's one of the things that I found most. It doesn't matter your educational level. It doesn't matter any type of demographic limitation. Everyone has the ability to lead and to serve. And if if people can understand that there is great beauty in serving other people and there's great value and reward in doing so, society would be better and the world would be a much better place. Amen. I agree to that. Mosul, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. You are my friend, and I appreciate you so much and what you do for not only uh, your agency and our agencies, but for the people of Tennessee. So uh, continue to do do work. If I can help you in any way, we will. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. You've you've been listening to Training. This has been Rogers. Join me next week uh, for another episode. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Uh, Remember, uh, be kind to one another. If we be kind to one another, we'll get through all these uh, problems we're facing, and that's all it takes is a kind heart and to love on each other, and we'll be Okay. Thank you to my producer, Will, this week, and I'll see you next week.